The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, September 24th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Do me a favor if you would and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll actually get into the first part of chapter 2 today as well. So in a minute, I will, I will read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then I'll, I'll just have a skip over to chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through, through 3 as well. And we'll, we'll go through some other things, not every verse, but we'll go through some of the verses in between as we talk today. Before I just jump into it, though, I, I do want to say, I mean, think, it, I, I think we can take this for granted, but it, it really is a privilege to come before God like this. And to do that together. I mean, just think about, think about all the wisdom that we need and all the guidance just for everyday life. Um, I, I know I, I certainly feel that way. I'm, I'm constantly now coming up on situations where I just, I, I don't really know what to do. You know, and, and you're having to trust God to guide you in that moment. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you're chasing little kids and trying to put on diapers or, you know, keep them from hurting themselves with whatever new thing they found in the house or, or if you're taking care of aging parents I mean it's, it's hard and sometimes you don't know what to do but we've got a God who speaks to us he actually takes the time to speak to us into that reality to help us and he's going to do that again this morning so Hebrews chapter 1 I'm going to start there in verse 1 go through verse 5 and then skip over to chapter 2 Father, guide us as we read and help us to truly listen to your voice here. And I pray, I pray that your voice would go all the way into our hearts and you would, you would change us in the way that you desire. We ask that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Skip with me to chapter two, verse one. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Let's pray one more time. Father, I pray that you would protect us from that this morning. Help us not to neglect your word about such a great salvation, but to truly pay attention. We ask that in Jesus' name. 
Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, picture, if you will, for a moment. You've got a couple, and they're in a long-distance relationship. She lives in London. He lives back here in Virginia. They met online, which, which tells you this is not too long ago, right? They met online. They've never seen each other before. And they agreed to continue their relationship through the ancient method of letter writing. They are literally going to pick up pens, take some paper, write long letters to each other, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, send it off in the mail, and wait to see if anything comes back. And so, that's what they do. And they decided they'd include some pictures of themselves in some of those letters. So they kept this up, and they, they did this for about a year. For her part, for her part, she would end her letters saying something like this. I can't wait to meet you one day. And as time went on, eventually, they got to a point where she ended one of her letters with some very good news. And she said, guess what? I'm coming to Virginia next month. And for the next few weeks, she would end all of her letters with similar good news. Can't wait to see you in three weeks, two weeks, next week. And then the day came. Now you can imagine his excitement. He, of course, was there at the airport to greet her, flowers in one hand, her last letter and picture in the other. He ran up to her as soon as he saw her, gave her the flowers, they gave each other a big hug. And now what if I told you, what if I told you that that young man in the very next moment left her standing right there, ran back to his car so that he could spend more time with her letter and her picture? Wouldn't you think that was a, a little strange? A little foolish, a little silly? <clears throat> Parents, if that was your daughter that he left standing there, what might you say the next time you talk to your, your daughter? You might, might want to reconsider this other guy. I like this other guy. The point is that would be very silly. I mean, the, the, the person he had been waiting for was here now. The real thing was right there, right before his eyes. And, and he left her standing there to go spend time with images and pictures and letters and messages from her. If you can understand that, you can, you can understand the book of Hebrews. In a very real sense, that's what's going on here. This letter is being written to a group of people who have recently come to faith in Jesus Christ. At least most of them have appeared to truly come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're coming out of that Jewish religion. And now, after quickly embracing Jesus, they were in danger of turning away from him and the new relationship that his coming had made possible only to return to the law, to a kind of long-distance religion and relationship with God which centered on the old covenant rituals and sacrifices that were primarily meant to simply put in them a longing for the one who was to come. That were primarily meant to help them discover their need for Jesus and, and to be able to recognize him when he finally showed up. Every prophet, 
Every prophet who spoke under the old covenant announced the coming of this Messiah, of this Jesus. Every angel ever dispatched from heaven was sent to say or do something that would prepare the world for his arrival. And now the book of Hebrews has a very simple message to the original audience and to us. The new covenant of grace established and put into effect by Jesus is superior in every way to the old covenant that was based on the law. So don't turn away from Jesus to go back to your old form of religion. Literally, that is the entire book of Hebrews. And today, as we're going to look at one little piece of that. The author of Hebrews is going to try to make his point today by comparing Jesus to the angels. And the reason he does that is because if you, if you read the whole book of Hebrews, you'll come to chapter 9 eventually. And in chapter 9, verse 15, it will tell us that this new covenant was put into effect by Christ and by his sacrifice. It was put into effect that way. The old covenant... If you read Galatians chapter 3 verse 19, it says that this law was put into effect by angels through an intermediary. Now hopefully none of you will ask me what that means because I don't have the faintest clue. I've been trying to understand it for like 20 years, you know, reading it lots of times. I have no idea. I've read more than 20 commentaries. I still don't know what that means. But what I do know is it's true because it's in the Bible. So the new covenant was put into effect by Jesus. The old covenant was put into effect by angels. So if the author can demonstrate to us that Jesus is superior to angels, that's, way of his, that's his way of saying the new covenant is superior to the old. So that's what we're going to do. So follow me today. We're going to go through this letter to the Hebrews as the author does two things. Number one. He's going to establish that Jesus is superior to the angels in many ways. And number two, he's going to answer that great question, so what? What does that mean for our lives today? How should it shape our everyday lives? You ready? All right, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 3. The latter part of that verse. After making purification for sins... Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It probably was the highest privilege for any angel to say what the angel Gabriel said in Luke chapter 1. As he was rebuking Zechariah for his his failure to believe the message that was brought to him about Elizabeth and the baby that was to come, he He said, man, you're questioning me. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. An angel like Gabriel had the privilege of standing somewhere in the presence of God. But Jesus sat at his right hand. Gabriel could not touch the privileged place reserved for Christ. And Jesus became as much superior in this way to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Jesus is superior to the angels, first of all, because of his name. 
To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? And the correct answer to that rhetorical question is, none of them. That name or title is reserved for Jesus, the capital S Son of God. Now I know I can see your faces, some of you, I know what you're thinking. You have actually been reading through the Bible with us in what we call this Seeing Jesus Together Bible reading schedule. And, and you've, been, you've been in the book of Job recently. About midway now through the book of Job, or, or a third of the way through, and you're saying, you know, I, th- I think, doing that Columbo thing, I, th- I think, I think I came across early on something which referred to the angels collectively as the sons of God. And you would be correct. In Job chapter 1 verse 6 and in chapter 2 verse 1, it does refer to the angels collectively as the sons of God. It uses that language. But again, that is collectively and again, a little s kind of sons of God. You know, the Bible actually says the same thing about those of us who believe in Christ. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, you'll remember it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Whether male or female, he'll go on to say that's not an issue. The title son, meaning you are co-heirs, you inherit what God has promised. You are all sons of God through faith, but that's little s sons of God. The capital S son of God is reserved for Christ and Christ alone. Jesus is superior to the angels, first of all, because of his name, the name of son. And and he's also superior to the angels by way of his name in another way. You'll see this if you join me in verses seven through eight. Look at the contrast. Verse seven says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. I love how one version, of, of an ancient version, I think it's a Syriac version of the Old Testament. It says it this way. His ministers of winds and fire chant only one hymn and expire. There, there is a temporariness. I don't know if that's a word, but let's go with it. There's a temporariness to the ministry of the angel as God sends the angel and dispatches the angel into the world. The ministers of wind and fire chant only one hymn and expire. Maybe if you're Gabriel, you get featured twice. Maybe if you're Michael, you get to say something to Daniel and you get to bind Satan and throw him somewhere, right? So, but most of them are unnamed and really have one, one set of uh, 15 second, seconds of fame or whatever you would. But it's not so about the sun. Look at the contrast. The temporariness of verse 7 with the angels. But, verse 8, of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. There's a permanence there, but even more so, there is the name. Of the Son, the Bible says, Your throne, O God. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is God. That is the clear teaching of the Bible. Jesus is God, meaning, meaning he cannot be set aside. He cannot be set beside any other religious figure. Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna. I, I forget all the names now. I, I knew them a little bit better and I had them ready when I was a campus minister. But you understand, 
all, all the other people college students are impressed with. You can't put any of these people next to Jesus. Jesus is God. And in fact, this is the clear teaching of the scriptures. When it comes to who God is and what he is like, the Bible clearly teaches us there is one God who exists as, and get my fingers correct here, three, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, that is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person of the Godhead is himself rightly considered and worshipped as God. Yet these are not three gods, but one. It is not a contradiction, but what we call a mystery. We refer to this as the Trinity. And so if you believe in Orthodox Christian teaching, you are a Trinitarian. You believe in the Trinity because the Bible teaches it. We see this everywhere. John chapter 1, verse 1, my 5th through 8th through graders, you're going to read this tonight. If you come here tonight, you're going to read this. You'll get into the book of John, and it will say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, speaking of Jesus, was God. You're going to read that tonight. You'll read more than that, but you're going to read at least that. You see this again in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, as a benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You see it again by the time you get to Hebrews chapter 9. It talks about Christ through the eternal spirit offering himself unblemished to God. You see it again at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3 and maybe other places. But you, you see it again where it says Jesus goes down into and comes out of the water the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And at the same time, we hear a voice coming from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father speaking well about the Son and the Holy Spirit confirming by descending like a dove. Doesn't necessarily say in the form of a dove, but it makes for better pictures. He descends like a dove. On G that was free. But you understand... The Trinity is a well-established doctrine of the Christian faith, even though the Bible never uses that word. I think it was first used by Tertullian in the 4th century. But it is still Orthodox Christian teaching. Jesus is God. And the author of Hebrews establishes here that he is superior to the angels, first of all, by his name. The name Son and the name God. Secondly, Jesus is superior to the angels because of his claim, his claim to their worship. Look with me, if you will, at verse 6. Again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And clearly, my friends, the lesser worships the greater. Jesus is superior to angels and has every right to receive their worship. He has a legitimate, rightful claim to be worshipped as God by the angels that he has created. Jesus is superior to the angels in every way. And thirdly, he is superior to the angels because, as we just alluded to, they are created beings and he is their creator. Jesus is the very God who created the angels. And, and fifth through eighth graders, you'll see this as well. You will see this. 
right? So when you come tonight, Julia, you come, Ella, you come, you'll, you'll hear these things. Not that Ella, she's in ninth grade, but that Ella. <laughs> when you come, you will hear this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him, all things were made. Including the angels. You see it here again in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10. It says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus is the very God who created the angels who worship Him. He is superior to them by His name. He is superior to them because of His claim to the throne of God and to their worship. He is also superior to them. I, I tried to find something. I was going to say fame. But then I was like, yeah, I'm just forcing that on the text. I just don't see it there. But he is superior to them, you see, in so many ways. And because this is the case, again, remember the argument. It's kind of a, a syllogism. The old covenant was put into effect by angels. The new covenant was put into effect by Jesus. Jesus is superior to angels. Therefore... The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Great. So what? Or as Unicorse would put it. And why should I care? <laughs> why is this important? How should this shape our everyday lives? Are you, are you ready for an impressive mind-blowing piece of wisdom. I do not have that for you. <laughs> but, but if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It, one of the things I love about the Bible, he gives us the application right here. Because all that we have said thus far is true, because Jesus is superior to the angels in his name, in his claim to their worship, because he is the creator who created them, because Jesus is very God in human flesh, and because he is the one, not a mere prophet or an angel, but because he is the one who speaks today. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We've got to read our Bibles. If God has seen fit to speak to us in written form, we must teach every human soul how to read, and then we must actually read what God has said. Yes, we must utilize technologies that allow us to hear, and how else would blind people come to hear the voice of God? But but we, we need to read our Bibles. We need to let the Word of God come into us. We need to pay more careful attention, much closer attention to what He has said, to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. I, I was reading this this week, and I'm always thinking, you know, these, these high school students that are coming up, some in my house, some in your house, and, and we're wondering what's going to happen when they leave our homes and they're exposed to more of the world and, 
And we hear all the time, 70%, the number changes and and usually goes up all the time, but 70% of them uh, are leaving the Christian faith and drifting away from Christ when they leave our homes. And and, and why? What can we do? I mean, what what can we possibly do to help help ensure our children will be among the 30%? and we got guys like George Barna giving us all the statistics and here are all the methods. And I'm, and I'm thinking and I'm sitting here reading this this week. And I'm having one of those Nicolas Cage moments. If you, if you remember National Treasure, the first one, which to me, the official canon was closed at one movie. But <laughs> you remember in National Treasure, he had that little half ship thing that he found in the... In the if I'm spoiling the movie for you at this time, I think that's on you. I mean, <laughs> but, but you remember, he, he had that, that little thing he found down at the bottom of the ocean. And then he gets to the, the end of the movie where he's about to unlock the greatest treasure ever found by any treasure hunter. And, and he, he takes this, he looks at this thing and he, he, he does that Columbo thing again. He just says, I think... He takes that little half ship thing out of his pocket and he realizes, I think this is the key that's going to turn this thing. And he, he, he says, I think this is what he says, but he says in that moment, could it really be that simple? I, I had a moment like that when I read this this week. I'm thinking, we don't want these kids to drift away. We don't want ourselves to drift away. Could it really be this simple? that we should pay much closer attention to what we've already heard. The the next thing that you and I need to hear is probably something we've heard already. Not a a new word, not a fresh revelation, but what we've already heard. And, And in particular, in particular what we've already heard about Christ. And the great salvation that God has accomplished through him. Look with me, uh, starting in verse 2 of chapter 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Retribution, that's a big fancy word. When my kids were younger, we used to read these fancy Nancy books. I don't know if you remember any of that. But fancy Nancy would come across these big vocabulary words and say, that's just fancy for... Retribution is fancy for punishment, right? Everything, every disobedience, every disregarding of the message of even an angel would receive a just retribution or punishment. If that's the case, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I mean, you, you, you didn't want to ignore an angel. Ask Lot. I would say ask his wife. But she couldn't speak. Right? You, you, you couldn't ignore an angel and get away with it. In Exodus 23, God sends that angel out before his people in the wilderness. Right? And he, and he warns them in Exodus 23, I believe it's verses 20 and 21. Hey, don't disobey this angel. For he will not forgive your transgressions. For my name is in him. Don't, don't. You don't want to, you don't want to disobey. One angel, one angel, we, we're always so worried about Satan and spiritual attacks. And the de- one angel, God sent one angel named Michael to deal with Satan. 
Satan is one angel, and God said, Michael, go ahead and get a chain and, and take care of him. Read the book of Revelation. If you've been in the seeing Jesus together, you just kind of got through that, right? But yeah, another plug for seeing Jesus together. Go ahead and read through that. Right now, we're going through Job and Mark, which is, which is a great combination. Because Job will make you depressed, Mark will make you happy, right? <laughs> You'll get the best of both worlds there. But you get the sense here that what we need to do is pay very close attention to this Jesus, superior to angels, who speaks to us today, in particular about this great salvation that now is available to us. And this matters particularly, it matters for all of us. All of us have to pay more close attention to what we've heard. But perhaps you're sitting here or you're listening to this somehow and you've never really given your life to Jesus. And this is really important for you as well. The, the message of this great salvation is what God uses, is what he uses to actually put the power and the freedom that he offers, to, the power to actually become his child into our hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says it this way. The message of the cross, while it may be foolishness to some, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so what I want to do now is I, I want to speak to those of you who, who have not yet truly given your lives to Jesus Christ at this moment. And I want to offer you the most powerful thing that I have in my arsenal. The very simple message of the cross. I remember when I was 20 years old and I was in your spot. For me, I had thought I was a Christian until I started reading the Bible. And then I very quickly understood that the, the Jesus I had in mind was different from the one that God revealed to me in the scriptures. And I was not in the right kind of relationship with God through him. And, and praise God, God revealed that to me, internally convinced me of that through the scriptures as I read them. But I, I understand, I remember being in your spot, if this is you, and, and I understood I couldn't make myself believe in Jesus. And, and I don't, you probably understand that about yourself. You can't make yourself believe in Jesus either. I get that. But Jesus can put faith in your heart. He can. He's powerful enough to do that. And, and he's alive. He's not some dead person long ago that we just talk about today. He's alive. He attends this moment. And he can put faith in your heart. You need only receive him. But the message of the cross that I offer you today is, is very simple. God created you. He created you to know him. To love him. To have a relationship with him. That would fill your life with a joy that nothing in this world could ever take away. But if you're like the rest of us, and you are, this thing called sin has gotten in and has separated your heart from the God who created you and who loves you. And that sin has kept you from enjoying the kind of relationship with God and the kind of life you were always meant to enjoy. You can't fix that, again, and neither can I. But Jesus can, and Jesus will if you'll receive him. In his great love for us, God sent Jesus into this world. And Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And when he did that, he did it as our representative. He, he actually lived in our place. That life he offered to God that we could never offer to God, but that we should have offered to God, 
Jesus actually did it. He never sinned. He perfectly worshipped the Father with his every minute, everyday life. He, he was perfect in every single way. And God could always look at Jesus and say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He did that in our place for us. And then one day, he took that perfect life and he went to the cross. And he did that in our place again. He was our representative in that moment. The law of God said that the soul that sins, the soul that sins, Ezekiel 18 verse 4, the soul that sins shall die. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The last half of that verse is good news, but, but you understand, we should have been the ones to die for our own sin. By the law of God, the one who sins and the one who dies, it's the same person. But by the grace of God, he made a way for someone else to die in our place. And that is exactly what Jesus did on that cross. And God accepted his sacrifice for us. We now know because God raised him on the third day. God accepted his sacrifice in our place. Jesus has conquered our sin. He has conquered death itself. And he has the power and the authority to give us the life that only he can give. And that is exactly what he has done for me. So many of us in here. And it's what he'll do for you if you receive him. So I ask you, will you receive him today? What would keep you from receiving Christ today? I'll, I'll, end, I'll end with this. It's, a, it's an old song, at least the first part of it is, um, that I've adapted and added something to it. And I don't think there are any copyright infringements to worry about here because I've changed it so much. But I'll close with this. And I, I, want you to, I want you to hear, especially if you're in that place now and you're saying, I, I know I've not given my life to Jesus. And I'm getting the sense that he is creating a moment here where I have the opportunity to do that. At many times and in many ways, God promised one who was to come. Through prophets who spoke to our fathers, he pointed them to Christ, his son. And it's Jesus now who speaks today. And his offer is but for a time. With that, I bid you come today that you might know his grace divine. Let's pray. Lord, I trust you've spoken through what we have spoken this morning. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would just go through the room and, and just make sure none of us drifts away. Just because we've been walking with you for a while and, and things have been pulling on our hearts, make sure, Lord, protect us. Protect us. Help us to pay more careful attention to what we have heard that we would not drift away. And for those of us who have never come to you in faith, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself by your word. You would, you would cause this opportunity before them to be not only convincing but compelling. That they would see Christ, receive him as their own. And he in turn would receive them as well. We ask this through his name, Jesus' name, and everybody say it. 
You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.